love to have a moment with the children. If you are in the sanctuary and want to come join me up here, please do. And if you're worshiping from home, just move a little closer to your screens. And we'll imagine your faces. Welcome, everybody. Wow, look at all of you. This is wonderful. So glad to see you. Welcome, welcome. All right, have a seat. I want you to pretend with me and imagine that I have a big apple tree here. This is my apple tree. It's in my little space here. And I pick apples and I have a nice big bucket full of apples. I'm really excited that I get to eat all of these apples. They're all mine and I'm so excited I won't be hungry for a long, long time. Let's pretend I go to sleep, I wake up, and then in the morning there are even more apples, that all of these apples on the tree. And so I think to myself, hmm, look at all these apples that I get to enjoy. I think I need a bigger bucket. So I set this bucket aside, and um, what would you mind helping me pick these apples? Just, you know, let's pretend if you could pick some apples for me and put them in my bucket. Yeah, just toss them here in the bucket. Oh, whoop, that one got me in the nose. It's okay. Didn't hurt. Ah, that's great. Oh, look at this big pile of apples that I get to enjoy. Oh, it's so heavy. I'm going to set it over here. Ugh. And I'm going to save these apples for me because I know I'm going to be hungry a little later. So anyway, I forgot to say something, didn't I? Thank you. Thank you for helping me pick my apples. I think I forgot something else too. There's no way I can eat all these apples. That would give a big old tummy ache if I ate all these apples. It is true. That would really give me a tummy ache. So maybe I should do something different. Maybe I should share my apples. Maybe I should say thank you to God for helping this tree make so many apples. And since I have so many, I could share them with you and I could share them with everybody. And you know what? I think really that would make me a lot happier to see everybody enjoying all of these apples. And I think God would be pleased with that. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for all of our blessings. Help us to be grateful to you and help us to share what we have because sharing makes us so much happier than keeping things just to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all for listening. If you are three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Maggie to Children's Church. And if you're older than that, you can return to sit with family or friends. That's so beautiful. Love all of these children. What I tried to do with you all, you children just now, was to retell the story that Jesus told, the parable that for centuries Christians have called the parable of the rich fool. Now when I think about this rich fool, I think he's a little bit cartoonish. 
In fact, he reminds me of a particular cartoon character. If you're a fan of The Simpsons, you're aware of Monty Burns. I looked at his name is Charles Montgomery Plantagenet Schlicksberger Burns. And in The Simpsons world, he is the owner of the nuclear power plant in Springfield. Homer Simpson works for him. He is a multimillionaire, maybe even a billionaire, and he's a stereotype, a two-dimensional stereotype of a greedy, cold-hearted, slightly ridiculous rich person. And in one episode, he and Homer are sitting there talking, and Homer says, Mr. Burns, you're the richest guy I know. And Mr. Burns says, yes, but I'd trade it all for a little more. <laughs> and that's how I see this rich man in this parable. The things he'll do just for a little more, just, just a little more. Jesus offers him up as an example of greed. And greed is that desire within us, within all of us, I think, for just a little more. If I could just have a little more, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be set for life. Then it would be. So he tells this parable. And on the first reading, on the first sort of quick, shallow reading, I see this rich fool and I see Monty Burns. But then... I scrape down to the next level of the parable and I start to see myself a little bit. As I look at the actions of this rich man in the parable, I'm not sure I get what the problem is. In some ways, he seems like a good businessman, a wise financial manager. He has this land that he owns, that he manages, and one year the harvest is much more than he expected. He has this abundant harvest. And so he tries to decide, how am I going to manage this? What do I do with this abundance? I guess I'll need to store more of it. I need to build bigger barns so I can hold on to it and save it. Is saving such a bad thing? Is storing stuff up for the future not a wise thing to do? In my own life, I know that David and I have a savings account, which is good for a rainy day if the roof leaks or an appliance breaks, as they always seem to be doing. We're putting money away toward our retirement so that when we stop working and stop having regular income, we'll still be able uh, to take care of ourselves. When our children were born, we started a savings accounts for their education. And boy, am I glad we did that. <laughs> because the costs of college education continue to skyrocket. And so this parable makes me look at that and think, okay, is that wise stewardship? And then I think of, of our life together as a congregation, this endowment that we have. We have members who have passed away from our midst, who have made gifts to our congregation out of their wills and estates. And their hope is that their giving would support future generations of this congregation. And we use that endowment to give scholarships, to repair the roof and the flooding when the fourth story floods, uh, to do good things in the community, to support missions and mercy and justice ministries. But most of it sits there. We use 3.5% every year because that's what you have to do with an endowment. And so, does this parable push against that kind of practice? And with some pondering and prayer, I have to say, I don't think so. 
I think these kinds of savings and practices and endowments are, are wise stewardship. I think our forebears in this congregation were blessing us by giving us these gifts that can help sustain and grow our ministries in the future. So if that's not the problem, if the storing away and the saving of this grain is not necessarily a problem, then what's going on with this rich man? Why does Jesus have the voice of God saying in this parable, you fool? Why is he foolish? We scrape away another layer of the parable and we read this. This is what jumped out at me. So his lands produce more and he sees he's got this great bumper crop and he's thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put down my, pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, you get the point? To quote another cartoon character, Daffy Duck, in duck season, rabbit season, aha, pronoun trouble. If anybody remembers that, that's such a great scene. All of the pronouns are first person singular. It's I, me, and mine. This farmer or this landowner looks at all of this abundant crop as his own to do with as he pleases. And his choice is to store it up so that in the future, He will have abundant goods and he can say to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. You have everything you need. It's all about him and his pleasure and his satisfaction. Not once does he think about thanking God. The people in Jesus' audience when he told this parable would have understood this kind of abundance as a blessing from God. The earth the rain, the sun, all of these gifts of God that are beyond the control of this landowner are what brought about this abundance. Not once does he stop to say, thank you, God. He doesn't even think to make his way to the temple and offer, make an offering of thanks to God. Never crosses his mind. Also never crosses his mind that the people who actually did the work on the land might also deserve some of the abundance? You know, he says, I know what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. Do you think this guy's actually gonna get a hammer and go build his own barns? Even if he wanted to, he couldn't do it by himself. Obviously, he has people who work for him, who work with him, who toil over the land. He has those who would be the ones to tear down the barn and build the bigger ones, and yet the grain is still all his. No, Jesus says, this is foolishness. He says, so it is with those who are rich in possessions but are not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? 
to acknowledge the blessings of God, to have a grateful heart, to hold our possessions loosely, to be willing to share the abundance with those around us. What if he had just sent everyone who worked for him home with an extra bag of grain or made sure that their wages were living wages and above and beyond living wages? What if he shared the grain with those in the community who were hungry, who didn't have enough to eat? What if he held a great feast and invited the whole community what richness he would have experienced in relationship and connection and the joy of generosity, but he didn't do any of that. And what makes him a real fool is that this is at its heart a spiritual issue. He's missing out on the whole purpose of life with God and with one another. And Jesus gives us a great clue that, what's, that this is a spiritual issue. Because the man says to himself, after he has all of his grain around him, you can just picture him sitting by himself, surrounded by sacks full of grain, leaning back, eat, drink, and be merry. You're good for life. And he says, I will say to my soul, and that's the Greek word, psyche, which is where we get the word psyche. I will say to my soul, not just say to myself, not just say to my heart, but I'll say to the very deepest essence of my being, that piece of me that is supposed to be the very breath of God within me. I will say to my soul, you're good. All this grain, that's all you need. All you need is your stuff and you'll be fine. Jesus says, you fool. And I hear that voice in the parable, not as a voice of anger and judgment, but a voice of sadness and grief. You fool. You've missed out on the abundant life that God has on offer for you and for all of us. The abundant life that helps us appreciate the gifts of the earth and the gifts of God that inspires us to share and connect with each other and enjoy the community that comes from that. You fool. And for the rich man in the parable, that's his last day. You fool. This night your life is being demanded of you and all of this grain around you is just going to rot. It's not a very happy ending. And I remember that Jesus tells this parable because someone in the crowd has asked him, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And I think he wants to offer this man, you know, there's another way to joy and to abundant life. And it's the same for his disciples and everyone in that crowd. It's the same for all of us. There's another way. There's a better way. And thanks be to God, we have the opportunity to hear the story of this rich fool and to make different choices. And I know you do. I know you know that joy of gratitude and of sharing and of generosity. And I'm so grateful to be part of a faith community that celebrates that kind of richness toward God. May we grow ever richer toward God in all that we do. Thanks be to God. Amen.